Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. I'm Dr. Heidi, and I'm here with my mom, Dr. Gloria, and we're talking today about helping others after loss, and our second guest with us here is Beryl Kaminsky. Beryl Kaminsky grew up in a fractured family which struggled with the death of her older sister. Her experience of losing two siblings and her father by the time she was a young adult created a passion to help others. Welcome to the show, Beryl. Well, thank you. Hi, Beryl. It's great to have you on. Now, you're down in Texas? Yes, I'm in Houston. I'm on the third coast. Ah, okay. So it's uh, good to talk to you down there. Now, Beryl, uh, we met Beryl when we were down in Texas at the ADAC conference. Was it Texas? Where were we? Was it Texas, Heidi? Yeah, Dallas. We were in Texas. Dallas. Mm-hmm. At the ADAC conference, and we did a YouTube uh, shoot of Beryl. It's going to be a great spot, and we're hoping to have it up on YouTube this week. So make sure you go to the Grief blog, and uh, you'll be able to go on to our YouTube site. So, um Beryl, we uh, want to talk to you a little bit. How did you get into the field of grief and loss? And I, I want to, you come in in an interesting way, and I want to talk about your losses, but I also want to talk about the fact that you were out in the business world because I think you're bringing, probably bringing a different perspective to the field of grief and loss, a very valuable one, uh, by the way, and, and I think it's going to be interesting to talk about that. But talk to us about your early life and, and what happened to you. Well, when I was uh, nine years old, my sister, who was 18 at the time, was killed in a bicycle accident, and so um, that changed everything. And um, at the time, my parents had just divorced a few years earlier, which, you know, that was late 60s, early 70s, and, you know, it was a pretty rare thing, and, excuse me, there wasn't much support, and it just really... uh, you know, the divorce was very bitter and contentious and was very stressful. And then a few years later to have my sister die, um, wow. she was the oldest, um, was, uh, you know, just tore, you know, threw everything up in, uh, into turmoil and was extremely difficult. Now, were you close to her? I was. I was um, thinking an 18-year-old and a 9-year-old can be pretty cute together. Yes, you know, there's something I think about a nine or ten year old. When you bring a newborn, it's like that's my baby. You know, mm-hmm. she was always part sister and part mother to me. Even in our family photos, she has her arm around me or she's holding my oh, hand. And what's her name? Her name's Dawn. 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 Uh huh. Ah, wonderful. And uh, we had a brother who was about midway between us, but you know, her relationship and mine were always a lot closer than his was to either of us. And especially after the divorce, um, she wound up, you know, having to babysit me and take care of me a little bit more than would have other been, otherwise been the case. So she and I were very, very close. And um, just because of partly our family dynamics, I always turned to her. Um, you know, because of the divorce, my parents were still kind of reeling from that. And they're both from the, you know, Depression, World War II area where, you know, when things are tough, you just pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you keep on going. You don't complain. And, you know, it's weak to be needy. And, and so, you know, emotionally, I never looked much to them for support. I always looked to my sister. And so when she died, you know, the one person I would have looked to was no longer the one there. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think I even really realized until many years later 
how difficult that was. Right. And and then you lost your brother also? Yes. What happened was um, about 18 years later, my brother killed himself. My goodness. How did he do that? With a gun. Uh-huh. And, mm-hmm. um, very unexpected. <clears throat> he had just remarried about five months earlier. He was a, a pediatrician, very successful. It looked mm-hmm. like everything was going very well for him. And just out of the blue, um, he killed himself. Wow. Uh, something that was very odd um, that happened at the time is that all the pain from my sister's death came up at that time because I never really grieved her loss as a child. You know, I just stuffed it all and kept busy. I lived in a really fun and exciting place. So, And you had a good job in industry, right? Yeah, and then by the time my brother died, I was uh, I was an engineer. I had an international MBA. I was traveling the world. On and you were in your 20s by then, right, Beryl? Pardon? How old were you when your brother died? 27? I was 27 and he was 32. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so um, years later, somebody said, uh, mentioned the curse, may you live in inter- interesting times. And I thought, well, why is that a curse? And they said, because it's um, you pay attention to everything that goes on outside of you and not what's going on inside of you. And that's kind of how I had lived my life because I grew up in the French Quarter in New Orleans and mm. there was always parties and music and fun things going on. And then, you know, I was in my 20s, I went to school, I traveled the world on business. And so, you know, just kept busy and, you know, keeping up that appearance too, but also doing really fun and exciting things. And so when he killed himself, a lot of that came crashing down around me. And I... I didn't know I needed to to uh, grieve my sister's death. Nobody had told me. I didn't see anybody else doing it. And so when he died, it was it felt as if she had died the day before, even though it had been 18 years. So wow! So I, you were now grieving both you, both your brother and your sister. It sounds right. like right. So at the age of 27, I was really stuck, uh, and I everything just came crashing down around me. So I was forced to deal with both of them at the same time. And so what did you do? Well, um, you know, at first I uh, I tried counseling. And part of that worked, but part of it, um, almost every therapist will say, oh, yes, I deal with loss and grief issues. <laughs> However, when you show up and you tell them the story of, you know, losing right. two siblings, one to suicide, you kind of get the deer in the headlight look. And you realize, you know, I, I wasn't very attuned to, you know, mental health counseling. I didn't even realize it at the time, but most of them had no idea how to help me. I knew that much. I like that deer in the headlights idea. Yeah, you end up educating mm-hmm. them, right, Hyde? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So what did happen, though, is they did help me with my family of origin issues, and there were a lot of issues there. To oh, Beryl, this is so interesting, because remember, Heidi, Heidi, you were talking about I'm that actually, you went I'm through actually, a grief counselor and you wanted to talk about your family of origin. <laughs> yes, I'm actually getting irritated hearing this, Beryl, because for me, that was not comforting. I went in in crisis, and, in a, and, and I went in as a deer in the headlights, and instead of taking me out of the headlights, my therapist wanted to talk about family of origin. Well, my brother and cousin had just been tragically killed. I didn't want to talk about my formative years. I wanted to talk about the present. So, Beryl, here you are. Okay, so you went into that counseling. You then decided to become a counselor. Right. Um, Well, what happened was five years later, you know, I I did do all this family of origin work, and I actually did wind up ultimately with a good therapist who, who could tolerate some of that pain. 
and mm-hmm. I was doing much, much better, and, and it, it, it strengthened my internal core. You know, I don't know what any other way to put it, but it did make me emotionally a little more resilient. And about five years after my brother died, my father died rather unexpectedly three weeks after being diagnosed with a brain tumor. Oh, my goodness. Wow. He was in his early 60s, very good health otherwise. So I, I did at least have three weeks to be with him, even though he couldn't speak. It looked a lot like a stroke. How um, old were you when he died? I was 31 uh, at the time. And my guess is you were pretty close to him. No, I, no you weren't. I wasn't. Um, I grew up with my mother, but actually after my brother died, it, my father and I did get closer. And so that was one silver lining from, the, from that death. But I was the sole survivor. He wasn't married. He had no other children. So, you know, I had to deal with everything. It was as if I walked into your house and picked up your bank accounts and your bills and figured out, you know, how to take care of your affairs, you know, because you couldn't anymore. So that So, so Beryl, you were an only child at this point. Yeah, because I, I only had the two siblings. And oh, your two siblings had died. Your brother had died when you were 27. Now you're 31 and your father dies as well. Right. Okay. Right. And you're not a therapist yet. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm an engineer. You're still an engineer. To, tooting around, you know, doing my thing, <laughs> thinking I'm real important or something. And so, um, but there People actually sent me sympathy cards. They called me. They said, I'm sorry for your loss. We had a little funeral, which we did not have for my brother, per his request. And I was just amazed at how much those little actions helped me immensely. And I thought, gee, this is what it's supposed to be like. You know, community supposed to rally around you. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in the whole scheme of things, it probably wasn't as much support as a lot of people get, but it was a whole lot more than anything I had received in the past. Or anything you let come into your life. Right, right. And so it helped me immensely. Um, and also there was something very odd in that it no longer seemed like such a odd thing that my siblings were dead, you know, now that I had one parent die. And I'd, I've never fully understood that part of it, but... You know, because it's well, it was sort of a no, more normal loss. More, it was right? sort of normalized it a little bit in an odd way. Yeah, that one parent died, and now you know the other two had already been dead for years. So, it was a very, um, it was you know, it was very difficult. I mean, I, I still went very much through a normal grieving process, but you know, the past didn't come back and haunt me as it had when my brother died, and all that pain with my sister came back. So. I thought, well, I had made some progress here, and as difficult it was, you know, to lose my father, right. I felt I was able to cope with it, and so that helped uh, helped me a lot. And then um, a few years later, I read an article that mentioned grief groups, and you know, I had never heard of grief counseling or, or grief groups, and I thought, you know, I felt there were, there were still some issues there. And so I did actually participate in one um, at a place that's now called the Houston Hospice. It was a seven-week program, you know, two hours per session. And that was the first time in my life I could really speak openly about what had happened. And people didn't run away or try to shut me down and say, well, it's been years. You should be over that by now, you know, and all those things. That Beryl, I love what you're saying right now for our audience out there because we're talking about helping others deal with loss. And I love your story because I think so many people can identify with it who are using the Internet. They're not, you know, psychology-driven yeah. and that kind of thing. They're business people. They're on in the evening, you know, and, and you're saying go to a group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, help, it helps. 
Yeah, and you can go no matter how long it's been. The loss has been. I know this was you know three years after my father died. You know, eight years after my brother, and over two decades after my sister. But it still was a life-changing event for me in a very positive way. You know, just fourteen hours of my life, and I'm like, why didn't I do this years ago? Well, partly I didn't know. You know, nobody told me. I've spoken to ministers. I've been to therapists. You know, nobody ever mentioned this. And also, I think the facilitator was excellent. You know, she she knew how to handle a group. She knew how to handle death and grief and just made a huge difference in, in my life. And so I thought um, that's when I began thinking. And, and I thought, well, maybe I should, should do this, you know. And um, I, I took about a year after I went through the group and I started volunteering at the Houston Hospice because I sort of wanted to pay them back, you know. I mean, I gave them a financial donation, but, you know, that's the easy part. It's kind of looking at your journey, you know, losing a sister uh, when you were nine and then losing your brother as an adult and then losing your dad as an adult and how you ended up being in therapy, but you ended up going to a therapy group with the hospice, and then you turned to that giving back. Uh, of helping out at the hospice, which is a, a big turning point for people, don't you think? Yes, yes. So you went on to do that, and then you decided to get trained as a therapist. How- right. Um, after, you know, I went through a grief group. A year later, I started volunteering and really in- enjoyed it and thought um, I was taking a sabbatical from work, and I thought, well, maybe I should become a therapist. And I thought, no, that'll be too depressing dealing with death and dying. So I went back to my old job in corporate America, and I had a wonderful boss, wonderful project, but I was just miserable. I'd come home every day and just be a couch potato, which was not like me. So I thought, well, why not try this? You know, I can be miserable helping people, or I could be miserable, you know, helping my company learn how to process insurance forms a little faster. (laughs) Insurance company at the time. So I thought, well, I'd, I'd at least like to try being, you know, helping people. If I'm miserable, I'll deal with it at that point. But anyway... So I I had to, you know, go to graduate school. I quit at about the age of 40, went back to school for two years to get my master's in psychology, and then had to, you know, it's sort of an apprentice-type program, had to work in agencies for a couple of years. And then about three years ago, I got my uh, full license. I went into private practice here in Houston at that time. And so... Do you do phone counseling or just uh, one-to-one? Do I do what? Do you do telephone counseling or just one-to-one in Houston area? I, I do primarily one-to-one. I will work if I have existing clients who have to go out of town or something. I'll, I'll deal with them, you know, through the telephone. But I, I, I haven't actually done just a hundred percent, you know, straight up phone. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, they live in the Houston area. You're in private practice. How would they do that? Well, you can go to my website. Uh, all my contact information is there, of course, www.houstongriefcounselor.com, or you can just call me directly at 713-303-9021. That's great. And you're also uh, part of ADAC, right, the Association of Death Educators? Correct. I'm certified in thanatology. It's one of their specialty training indi- uh Programs which indicates you know several years of experience and people have you know vouched for me and I've passed tests and I've got you know many clinical hours of actually dealing in this specific area of grief and loss. So if you go to ADAC's site, mm-hmm. 
They, you can find a therapist who's trained in grief and loss in your area. And, of course, there are also a lot of groups, right, Beryl? There's hospice groups. You can contact your local hospital. You can go to the Compassionate Friends group if you're a bereaved uh, parent, grandparent, or sibling. There are things like Alive Alone on the Internet for people who don't have any children at all. I mean, there are quite a, quite a few resources out there to help you maybe take that first step of getting into community. Yes. Yeah, and I also wanted to say something about when Beryl was saying, I think that I was afraid that working in this field of grief and loss would be so depressing. It's interesting because a lot of people say to me, I don't know how you do the work you do. And I say to them, there's nothing more inspiring or rewarding than seeing people, despite great adversity and despite, despite great loss, finding hope again. It is amazing and it's exciting and I love doing it. And I would agree because that people always tell me that too. Oh, that's so depressing. But in a very short period, if people are willing to reach out and work a little bit, in a relatively short period of time, I see the most amazing transformations. In well, and Beryl, you're a perfect example of how inspiring this is. I mean, here you've lost two siblings and a father all before, you know, by 31, and you've gone on to find hope and do wonderful things in the world. Yeah, well, you know, I, I come down to it's very basic choices. You know, either we can live or we can kill ourselves. You know, my brother killed himself. I chose to live. If you're going to live, how are you going to live? What do you want your life to be like? Do you want to indulge the pain and suffering and bitterness? Or do you want to allow this to break your heart open into, you know, new wondrous things that might happen? And so... I've chosen to try to pursue the latter, and we each we each have that you know choice, and we each have the power to make that happen for ourselves. And I try to convey that to clients: as bad as you're feeling right now, you won't feel like this always. It will pass. Absolutely, and again, it's the example of lean on our hope. If you don't have hope now. Lean on barrels, lean on mine, lean on Heidi's, because things will get better. In fact, it's a pretty amazing life, isn't it, Beryl? I think so, and, and I love the words of Albert Schweitzer, because this just resonates with me because I went through such a difficult time. He said, at times our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each mm-hmm. of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the flame within us. And so to me, you know, if you're out there suffering, if your sibling died last week, if your child died a few weeks ago, please don't be alone with that. Please, please. I know for me, I really resisted going to therapy. I was taught, you know, only crazy people go to therapy. You know, you deal with this yourself. You don't, you don't do that. And it helps so, so much. And not that therapy is the only way to do it, but if, if you've tried other things and they're not working, you know, please at least give it a whirl. Right, and, and reach out to your community. Well, Beryl, we want to thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, and talk about your um, your your I don't know what you call it CD ebook or whatever. Oh, it's, that you're... A, it's an audio book. Audio book. Yeah, um, it's kind of it is a book, but it's strictly in the audio format. It's for parents who've lost a child. It's called Mending the Broken Heart After Your Child Dies. It's available on Amazon.com and by MP3 download on my website. And, um, yeah, since I grew up with grieving parents, and I've worked a lot, you know, now professionally with, with parents who've lost children, I found that this would be a good way to reach parents. And um, there's lots of good books on the, on the market, which, you know, I couldn't have said that 10 or 20 years ago. So there's lots of good books, but often people can't read after a child dies. We just don't have the concentration, if nothing else. And some people just never like to read, even earlier. So 
Um, so this is a nice way, and, and a lot of feedback I got said, oh, your voice is so soothing, you know. And I know often parents, bereaved parents are very sensitive to sound. Right. They don't like loud sounds and stuff. So even if you're not listening to every word I say every minute of the CD, just having a very soothing sound can be, there's some comfort in that alone. And So I try to, sort of a self-help, I talk about, the general journey of grief, sort of what you go through inside of you and how to deal with other people and events and, and holidays and work and such. And I talk about, you know, what has worked for other parents in those situations and, and maybe that might work for you too. So I kind of give a lot of practical advice. And there's really, I don't think, any other products like that out there in audio format right now. Right. It's great. I've heard it. It's wonderful, and I would highly recommend that you get it. Well, Beryl, as we close the show, do you have one last uh, parting thing that you'd like to say to our audience? Um, I'd say, you know, just try to try to be open. I know I was not. I, I was very shut down, and... I'm in a much better place now because I did allow people into my life. And it took a while to find the right people, but keep looking. They are out there, and they will help. You do not have to be alone. Oh, thank you, Beryl. We'll close the show with that thought of not being alone. And thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's good talking to you both again. Great talking to you. Thanks, Beryl. So it's time to close our show, and I want to thank our guest, Beryl Kaminsky. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.